It's time for the Plan with Dan podcast, the show that will help you discover and achieve your true purpose for money and make you a more confident investor. We'll talk about sane and intelligent approaches to financial planning. Now, let's Plan with Dan. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the Plan with Dan podcast. I'm Mark Kaywood here alongside Dan Betzel, the founder of Betzel Wealth Advisors, serving you here in the greater Columbus area with an office over in Gehenna near the airport. You can find him online at BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. That's BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. Or you can reach out and call Dan at the office, 614-472-4510. That's the phone number. It's 614-472-4510. Dan, as always, a pleasure to be with you on the podcast. Thanks, Mark. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. I'm ready just to get right into it today. We've got a lot of great things we're going to discuss. As always, we're going to get into the psychology of investing. You've got a great mind over money for us. We're going to take a question from the mailbag. We love hearing from you and one of you's written in with a question today. So we're going to feature that on the podcast. And at the end, we'll always get to know Dan a little bit better. I'm sure that that one will be amusing as that question always is when we get to that part of the show. Let's dive right into the main part of the show today, though, and talk about conventional wisdom and why perhaps it isn't always so wise. So there's a lot of schools of thought, a lot of isms, a lot of sayings when it comes to finances, just a lot of ways of thinking that they're not always as wise as they might sound. So As an example, Dan, and by the way, you can tell us why these aren't great schools of thought to have. As an example, Dan, a lot of folks talk about debt, and on one side of the coin, you get folks saying it's bad, it's terrible, stay away from debt, pay off your mortgage, your car, as fast as you can, pay off all debt. Then there's other folks that argue there's good debt, there's bad debt, and mortgage debt specifically is a good debt, especially folks who own a lot of real estate say this. What do you think about those lines of thinking? Uh, well, that's a really great question. I guess first, when you talk about conventional wisdom in general, I mean, it's generalized information that, you know, it's not one size fits all, right? So uh, I'm always very, very hesitant to like agree with any kind of conventional wisdom. This is what everybody should do because there are very few things that everyone should do. Although I would say that as a general rule, in my opinion, everyone should get out of debt. So how's that about flipping the conventional wisdom on his head? (laughs) You know, I'll tell you, I've never met anyone in retirement anyway, that has significant debt, that has had a, you know, a happy, happy retirement without stress. If you have a lot of debt, usually that means you have a lot of stress. Now, you know, with that said, if you're, you know, a young couple and, you know, you need to go into debt to educate yourself, you know, that might be a really good idea as long as you're not going to take on, you know, significant, you know, horrible, oppressive debt, you know, that you're not going to ever be able to pay it off as well as a mortgage. Yeah. You know, there's some real advantages to, you know, having your own piece of property. It's the American dream. I remember how excited I was, you know, to get our first house and, you know, have a yard for my daughter to play in. And it was great, right? So, but as you go through your economic life, I think the goal has has to be that by the time you enter retirement, for most people, for majority of people, so for 95, 96, 97% of the people, you need to really strive to be out of debt. Because I don't think there is any good debt in retirement. Again, I'm going to always leave one or two percentage of certain scenarios where I could imagine it, it could make sense. But for most people, it doesn't. So, Conventional wisdom, get out of debt. There is no such thing as good debt in retirement. That's, For me, that's a pretty aggressive stance, but I, I have a lot of experience, I believe, to back that up. 
And I believe we did another podcast as well on some of the debates in the financial world. And you and I entered in some of those debates. And I remember we discovered there's a lot of gray areas in some of yeah. these as well. That's not to say go into debt. We're not telling you to do that. Don't say that Dan Betzel told you to do that. But I Absolutely do, not. <laughs> I do think there's some areas that are a little more complex than what we have time to talk about on this podcast. And that's why we always encourage you to come in for a visit. But Absolutely. Since it is a podcast, let's continue the conversation. Dan, some folks might say retirement is a chance to just relax after an exhausting career. Is that wise per se? You know, that's really interesting. I'm not sure exactly what the connotation of the statement is that you made, but how I'm interpreting it is, you know, sometimes I meet with people and they've had a job that they really you know, just did not enjoy. It was maybe physically exhausting, physically demanding, and you know, and they, they had to do it for all kinds of reasons, you know, to put a food on the table and a roof over their family's heads. You know, and they are looking forward, you know, to something different. But this idea of relaxing, I'm thinking of one client right now. Um, so he retired, owned his own business, and he <laughs> was so unhappy he had to go back and find something else to do. Now he found something very, very different than what he was doing before. He was running a company before, and uh, now he was actually, you know, remodeling houses and flipping them, and that was, you know, something that was a different kind of stress, but it was very, very different, right? It was, it was a whole different skill set. So um, I also see people that are looking to find ways to make their jobs more meaningful to them. So it's not like you work 25, 30 years at a job you hate, and then you relax. You're trying to find ways to enjoy the ride along the way and not just keep looking for that day when you're going to retire and then you can relax. Because I think we're beginning to realize as a society and as a people that we're not built that way and that there's a lot of gratification that comes from work. But you know, if you plan properly and you take the right steps, you can maybe find a job that's a lot more meaningful for you on a personal level or spiritual level or you know intellectual level, and it won't be as exhausting and you're not so tied to that paycheck. Maybe you can do something you really love for less money. And I see more and more people doing that. So it's not this work, 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 turn 65, clock out, and then go relax. No, no, no. It's, I think that's an oversimplification of the process. It's enjoy the process on the way. Sure. Do those things that you can do to enjoy it. And when you do retire, make sure you have a plan for something that's going to be meaningful for you to do during your retirement years. I like that, Dan. It's meant to be purposeful. And your work, as far as that goes, is meant to be purposeful as well. And so I like that line of thinking. Make sure you have a plan in retirement, what you're going to a plan of action, not just a plan for your finances, but a plan for what you're going to do. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. I mean, it helps me on so many levels. So I volunteer just a couple hours a week helping um, immigrant young people learn to read, learn, learn to read English, kind of like an English tutor. It's you're being overseen by people that have degrees and know how to know all the, do all the curriculum. I, I'm just like a reading tutor. And it's it's very meaningful on so many levels. It's really fun to help them, you know, master their new country's, you know, tongue. And it's grounding. And it makes me think, wow, you know, how fortunate we are. Even with all of our problems, you know, there's still a lot of people that want to come here. And uh, so it's just, it's find something meaningful for you to do, right? Because, you know, I can go there all frustrated and stressed out. And I leave after two hours like, okay, that was good. That was fun. Everything's good. <laughs> so find something like that that you enjoy to do. Yes, find something that you can enjoy and to cre- find something that will create a meaningful retirement for you. Dan, Absolutely. another line of conventional thinking that we have that we might need to question, if your investments aren't currently doing well, 
try something else. Wow, that's really interesting because uh, it reminds me of a study, the Dalbar study. And anybody who's been to my workshops or watched any of my online webinars, I often talk about the Dalbar study. And the Dalbar study, you know, shows us empirically that uh, I think it's about every three and a half years or so, the average American investor changes investment strategies. And often they do that, you know, at a serious, serious and significant hit, you know, to their investments because what they'll do is they won't stay disciplined for the long term in order to reap you know, the market returns and the market rewards. They'll get into a certain portfolio, a certain investment strategy when the market's going up. So they'll kind of be buying in high and the market will, will turn as it always does and it'll go low and they'll get discouraged and they'll pull out. So they're buying high and selling low. So assuming, of course, that you've taken the time and you truly understand the investment strategy you're in, and you understand what the risks are inside of that portfolio, and you understand what your, you know, anticipated average rate of return would be, you know, you've got to give that significant time. And if there hasn't been significant changes in your life that would impact a change in investment philosophy, you're doing yourself often a very big disservice not to stick with the investment philosophy. Now, that's assuming, of course, that you're in an investment philosophy that reflects your true risk and your true time horizon. And I joke about this, but I've actually thought about, I don't know how I'd pull it off. I thought about making a workshop where you're actually going to say, you know, I do to the portfolio, right? Because the portfolio is kind of like getting married in the sense that, you know, that nobody's perfect. Every portfolio has risk in it, has ups and downs, but you're going to weather those ups and downs and you're going to stay, you know, married to that portfolio. And I'd say that a little bit tongue in cheek, you know, that's assuming, of course, that the port it's a portfolio that's been well designed and is being well managed for your specific goals and risk tolerance. And then you haven't had any significant, you know, life changes that would alter that. So as a general rule, I think most Americans are very impatient and they don't give their portfolios time to get the returns that they want and they need to create wealth for their retirement. So be careful when you go to switch. Dan, as folks are listening today to some of these lines of thinking and maybe scratching their heads a little bit and saying, ah, maybe I thought that way before. Maybe I need to question. It's okay. My, we're human. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> what we do, right? I mean, we're actually going to get to that a little later on in behavioral finance. We talk about some of the ways that our emotions and our past and memories affect the way we think. What does it look like, though, to start that process, maybe of changing some of that thinking and maybe just for the first time to start thinking about, you know, what do I want to accomplish in retirement? How am I going to lead a meaningful retirement? What's it look like to get in touch with you and do that? Well, there's a lot of ways that you could get in touch with me. You can uh, actually call the office. You can send me an email. Uh, you can go to my website and I have lots and lots of educational videos that you're more than welcome to watch and download the workbooks. And uh, I also have a rescue your retirement toolkit that if you send me your, your address, I will get out my retirement rescue toolkit to you. It has a uh, I think now there's two different books or booklets in it and some other information that will hopefully get you thinking and educating you. And if any of that speaks to you and if you're interested in one -on one to one consultation, just call the office. I'd be more than happy to sit down and talk with you. And again, that number to reach out to Dan and the team that we give out at the beginning of the podcast, give it out one more time here so you don't have to scroll back through. That number is 614-472-4510. That's 614-472-4510. You can get in touch with Betzel Wealth Advisors. You can also go online, by the way, to BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. That's BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. 
All right, Dan, let's switch gears a little bit on the podcast now, get to some of the maybe more lighthearted conversation. And before we forget, let's take a question from the mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. This week's question comes to us from Lou. Lou is in Gehenna, and Lou says, I've always assumed that I'll be in a lower tax bracket in retirement, but now I'm questioning whether or not that's true. What do you normally see? Oh my gosh, Lou, thank you so much for that question. Um, So much of what I see and what I do on a daily basis is dealing with taxes in retirement because you are like most people. They have this uh, idea that when I retire, I'll be in a lower tax bracket. But uh, that's normally not the case. I'm sorry. And, and some of it's not your fault. Some of it's there have been changes that the government has made. I'll, I'll give you one example. Most people aren't aware, but that up to 85% of your Social Security for most people is taxable. It depends on the amount of provisional income that you have coming in during retirement. But people are sometimes shocked. You mean I have to pay tax on my Social Security? Uh, yes, up to 85% of it could become taxable. And so that often you know impacts people's taxes. And then most of us have put almost all of our retirement money into qualified plans, into IRAs and 401ks. And uh, when that money comes out, it comes out taxable. So, you know, if you're still working, you still have some time, you know, I'm a big proponent of the, of the Roth IRA because that money will come out tax-free. Something else I see that people don't realize too is they, they think, well, you know, when a spouse passes away, my taxes will go down. And that usually isn't the case. Actually, the taxes go up because now you only have you know, one exemption and you, you don't have the exemptions for um, for being married. So taxes often go up. So um, you really have asked a great question. Matter of fact, I have a rescue your retirement toolkit that you can get online and, and request to be my, uh, I would love to send it out to you, but I really applaud your question. It's a great question and one that needs a lot of analysis and a lot of personal application to your own unique situation. So good luck with it. Great question. Educate yourself get the Rescue Your Retirement Toolkit, and um, good luck with it all. Good luck, indeed. Thanks, Lou, for writing in. Get that toolkit. Reach out to Dan for more information. Again, you can call that number, 614-472-4510. Dan, we've reached one of my favorite parts of the show. It's time for Mind Over Money. Let's take a look at some of the psychology behind investment behavior. It's time for Mind Over Money. Well, as the line says, we do like to look at the psychology behind investing, behavioral finance. Basically, why are you making the decisions you're making? Dan, what do you have for us this week? Yeah, so um, I just was reminded, the last few weeks I was reminded of the impact that money can have on relationships. And it's not only money, but how you view money and, and your emotions around money. And I had, I had a, a younger couple in, they weren't married, but they were considering getting married and they really had come to talk about student loan debt and it was just really interesting and quite sobering you know when you realize that these young people are considering a relatively young you know they're professionals and <laughs> in their 30s not they're not super young but they're you know they're considering um getting married and you know and how are they going to manage the significant student debt that they have and and you know one person has a certain view of it and another person has a, another view of it. And I thought it was so interesting because that was a relatively new experience for me. Normally, I see people on the other end. They've been married for 15, 20 years. And when you speak to like divorce attorneys or marriage counselors or you read about, you know, marriage and money, 
you probably have heard that many people that are in divorce or contemplating divorce, they list as one of the top reasons of their attention is their views of money. Have you heard that before by any chance that money and divorce or money problems and divorce yes, I certainly go together? Have. I've heard yeah. that it's one of the most stressful elements of marriage in general. Yeah. And so I really believe that if you're able to talk openly and share your emotions and your views of money before it gets to that critical point, like you want to get divorced, you can realize that your thoughts are not facts, you know, and your thoughts are not accurate especially when they're negative, and that these feelings are within our control. You know, if we change our thoughts, we can change our emotions. And if we can change our emotions, we can change our behavior. And that financial good health, you know, is possible. And people may be surprised, but it's really not, it's really doesn't relate it to how much money you're making. You can be making a significant amount of money and still have significant stress with your spouse about money because you're approaching money from such a different perspective. So it's really important to like think about how our thoughts influence our feelings and how that impacts our behavior when it comes to money. And I, I'm very, very optimistic that you know if you want to give some thought about it, that you can actually realize that this is all being controlled, you know, by that amazing mechanism that's found between our ears and that you can actually have the ability to modify your thoughts, which are going to modify your feelings and which are going to impact your behaviors. And if you're interested, you know, go to my YouTube channel. I actually have a workshop about uh, the actual exact name of it escapes me right now what I called it at the time, but it's about changing your thoughts to make empowering decisions about money. I like that, Dan, just that idea that you can take control of your thoughts and how you think about things. And I'll say from personal experience, I get that I'm a lot younger than folks maybe preparing for retirement. But at the same time, my wife and I have worked really hard early in our marriage to be open with each other about money and not just with where the money's going, but where we want it to go. I mean, you know, I get it. She likes to shop. I like to shop. I like to buy shoes. I'm a big shoe guy. I realize maybe that's the most millennial thing of all time, but I love my Air Jordans. And just having those conversations and figuring out how to budget to, you know, allow us to breathe a little bit while also accomplishing our savings goals, I think that's been huge in our marriage for just taking out some of that tension that can otherwise be build up over the years. I applaud you for that. But of course, like I said, we're just starting. Uh, it's a work in progress as any marriage. For all of us. Uh, for, for all of us. For all of us. But all that to say, don't be too hard on yourself and realize that you can change your thinking. You can grow in the way you approach these issues. Dan, before we let you go, we promised, as always, a fun getting to know you question. We love this segment of the show. This week is no exception. This one is perhaps sentimental. I don't know. We'll see whether it, it touches your heartstrings or tugs on your heartstrings, I should say. What's the most beautiful view you've ever seen in your life? That's a deep question. Wow. It is. Uh, and, you know, when I saw the notes before the recording, I, you know, I could answer it on a superficial level. I'm, I've been very Nothing fortunate. Nothing wrong with I, either way, by the way. Nothing well, wrong either way. Well, I'm going to I'm going to tell you both. You know, I've been very fortunate. I've been able to travel a lot with my wife uh, and I've seen, you know, I mean, I've been to Alaska and to Hawaii and I've seen the Dead Sea and uh, and I've been in Europe and there's a lot a lot a lot of beautiful things. But what came to my mind like in an overwhelming, you know, uh, wave of emotion was probably the first time that I saw both of my children. It's pretty mm. it's pretty amazing experience and my guess is that you ask almost any parent that, that's probably what they're going to come up with. 
<laughs> because there's nothing that's that comes close to it. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say the most beautiful view. You know, anyone that knows me knows that both of my children, uh, you know, uh, are adopted, and you know, seeing them coming down the walkway when they built, well, actually one was being carried because she was so little and my son was just barely walking. Um, you know, seeing them, you know, coming toward us was an image that, you know, it is deeply embedded in my brain and in my heart and in my soul. And um, I'd have to go with that one. I like that, Dan. I like that memory. And I've actually heard a lot of guys say that. They always say, you know, favorite memory of my life, best view of my life was my wedding day up until I had my firstborn son or daughter. And so that's exciting to think about. And uh, having, having gone through, you know, having gone through a wedding last year, I can attest that up till now that that was one of the most important uh, moments of my life between that and my father passing away there within the span of a couple of months. I mean, that was yeah, an emotionally rich yeah. time of year for me. To go on a quick kind of superficial level, I will say most beautiful view I've ever seen outside of those moments, again, I have a heart, would certainly be my North Carolina Tar Heels cutting down the nets in 2009 and 2017. I was able to make it out to the championship, and it is a beautiful view, Dan. It's a beautiful view. (laughs) Okay, I'm glad glad you had that experience. Sounds wonderful. Okay, sounds wonderful. Gotta have a little fun. Well, Dan, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Mark. We'll do it again next time on another edition of Plan With Dan. Fee-based financial planning and investment advisory services are offered by Betzel Wealth Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Ohio.